changing fashions had altered it very little. True, it now contained a modern toilet and bath. There was such a thing as carrying quaintness too far. But the wall opposite her was simply that, a wall, not programmable in any way. It displayed nothing, could not even become a mirror. An actual silvered glass mirror hung on the wall over the sink, its image speckled and distorted by surface impurities. Between mirror and sink, offset to the left, was a widget that had once been used to hold toothbrushes and a plastic cup of germ culture. Farther to the left was an antique cast-iron radiator, unused in decades. The sink itself had mechanical taps, two of them completely uncalibrated. One had to adjust the flow rate and temperature by hand with each use. There was a depression behind the rim meant to hold a decomposing lump of phosphate soap, and slung beneath the sink was an antique seldom seen anymore in 2064, a spring-loaded roller intended to hold a roll of toilet paper. There was no roll there now, of course, but there had been for years after people stopped using the horrid stuff. Nana Fish had insisted on it. Even after she had broken down and accepted modern plumbing, Nana had insisted on keeping a roll of the Stone Age tissue handy, just in case. She went back to the days when machinery used to fail all the time. Every time Rhea saw that roller, she wanted to giggle. The room was, in fact, almost a microcosm of the town around it. From its earliest days, Provincetown had always conceded as little as possible to the passing of years, changing only with the greatest reluctance, and even then pretending not to. That had been the town's, most of Cape Cod's, stock in trade for centuries now, and a good living there was in it, too. Even in these days, when progress was no longer quite as dirty a word as it had once been, there were still people who would pay handsomely for the illusion of an allegedly simpler time. P-Town, as the natives called it, was tailor-made for the role. She stepped into the bathroom and let the door close behind her. No terminal in here, no phone, rotten ventilation, it was possible to make the mirror steam up, and nothing in the room excepted voice commands. In here, all three avatars of the house's A.I. were blind, deaf, mute, and impotent. The wind outside was clearly audible through the walls. Rhea loved this bathroom more than even she suspected. She had plotted out at least three books here and worked on a thousand poems, songs, articles, and stories. At age fifteen, she had renounced Catholicism forever in this very room, sitting on that same oaken toilet seat over there. Just like that, a perfectly good story idea popped into her head. She gave it a lidded glance, not wanting to seem too interested, and sauntered to the toilet. It followed her, and her pulse quickened. Studiously ignoring the idea, she urinated, let the commode cleanse and dry her, and went to the sink. Again it was at her shoulder. She used her dental mouthwash, making a rude production of it, and spat noisily into the porcelain sink. The idea did not take offense. She continued to ignore it, studied herself in the mirror. Still a couple of years to go before her fortieth birthday. Black hair, black eyes that others called flashing coffee-with-cream complexion, exotic high-cheeked Portuguese features that always reminded Rhea of old 2D pictures of Nana Fish as a girl back in the twentieth century, an impression reinforced by the old-fashioned nightgown and robe she wore now. She ran water and splashed some on her face, rubbing especially at her eyes and cheeks and lips as though her makeup could be washed off, a childhood habit so trivial it wasn't worth unlearning. Collie was asleep, and Rand was not expecting her back in the bedroom any time soon, as far as she knew. There was time to dally, at least briefly, with the idea. She studied it out of the corner of her eye. A short story idea, probably, really no more than a situation. 
but one she knew she could do something good with. For Rhea's kind of writer, plot and theme and even character were always secondary, mere craftsmanship, constructed as needed to flesh out the story. For her, the heart of a story, the first flash that impelled and enabled her to dream up all the rest, was always that special suffering called antinomy. Conflict between two propositions which seem equally urgent and necessary, as a professor of hers had once defined it. The juncture between a rock and some hard place. The place right out at the very tip of the sharpest point on the horns of a dilemma. Give someone an impossible choice, and then you had a story. Once the muse revealed to you a deliciously impossible choice, you could begin deciding what sort of person would squirm most revealingly when confronted with it, and from that you could infer your theme, which gave you your plot. This idea, for instance, it had been born in that brief flash of recollection she'd had as she first walked in.